if we are to defend truth and preserve knowledge of God, and in so doing sustain a free and civil society, the church must continually distinguish between eternity and time and space. To illustrate that distinction, I drew a timeline last week, and we placed markers representing certain events that might occur during one's life, including birth, graduation, marriage, children, and eventually death. We use that timeline to illustrate the obvious, that all of human existence comes to us moment by moment, and that one moment must disappear before another arrives. Tuesday doesn't come until Monday is past, and we cannot enter Wednesday until we leave Tuesday. We then consider the difficulty for some of imagining anything operating outside of time and space or beyond that timeline, especially when horizontal movement from past through present and on to the future is our only point of reference. We take it for granted that all things exist in time. We assume the whole universe and God himself are always moving from past to future just as we do. But God is not limited by time. God exists outside of time and space. We supported this with scripture, and we illustrated it through the poetry of T.S. Eliot and literary devices employed by C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton. Eternity is where your prayer requests and God's answers are immediate. Eternity is where there's no distinction between the time of Abraham, Moses, Christ, and the church today. Eternity is not tomorrow. Eternity is, in fact, today. Some just can't see that. Can you repeat your opening line that eternity is separate outside of time and space and not? That is right. It's not an extension of Extension it. of. Yeah. Or, in other words, your eternity doesn't, you die, then eternity begins. That's not, right. On either it's, side, quite it, frankly. Yeah, it's not a question of duration. It's actually a different place. And, and actually, we're going to cover a little bit of that uh, today. But in my experience, Michael, most people, including the church and its leadership, speak of heaven and eternity in strictly temporal terms. And you can tell this by the language they use, especially at funerals. If the mourners talk about granny waiting for us, watching down from above, or if they suggest that, well, mom is probably laughing with us now that she is out of her pain, it's a clear indication that they have not given serious consideration to the concept of eternity, what it is and what it demands. Um, if your listeners need a refresher on what it is, you can hear more of that or read my blog post from last week. But I do lesson. think it's significant because um, we had some confusion last week. Mm-hmm. There's God's perspective. God is past, present, and future simultaneously. So it's a separate outside of time and space restraint, something we can't even conceive. Um, you know, Paul addressed this the, the, from our perspective, and, and, and this should impact you personally as well as understanding where God is at. But Paul addressed it this way. Now, Paul was very much alive and on earth when he said, I'm not here. I'm really in Christ in heavenly places, seated at the right hand of the Father. So when you enter Christ's life, you too, it would presume, based on Paul's writing, have the ability, this is what we didn't get to yesterday, the ability to live in that separate outside of time and space, eternal mind. Now, you're going to battle the human body and, and earthly elements and sinful nature, but it would be when Jesus said, "Be ye perfect as I am, and my Father am perfect." He wasn't blowing smoke. It might be. It must be possible. Well, and one of my students, this we talked about this on Sunday and on a Sunday course that I teach. I just wanted to do that before we leave theological and well, yeah, philosophical. It's, it's important. But to tell you that you're right on line with the thinking is one of my students grasped it right away when we were going over these concepts. She stopped and she said, "Wait." So does that mean we're actually, those of us who believe, are already also in eternity? And I said, yes. You could tell that the light went on, um, and they're scratching their heads and sort of trying to t- conceive of this, but that's, I that's a, when it's exciting. I shared an anecdotal story with you. Uh, me and my best friend left Chicago. It's a, 
at that time, before we had certain interstates, it was a 13-hour drive to Kenner, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And and we were in a literally like a walk to Emmaus type of discussion with the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. When I tell you, we blinked and we were, it said Loyola exit two miles. And we both just kind of freaked out and looked at each other and said, how is this possible? 13 hours have passed. So, I mean, I would even suggest to you that that was a moment where we were in such fellowship, such presence of God, that we were kind of outside time and space. Now, I... It's kind of like we, we all experience this with like a, with a dream. Yeah, it's just, just, a dream's just a great analogy. You, you think good. you've been sleeping for ten hours. You had this whole dream that would take you ten minutes to explain. It happened in one point two seconds. <clears throat> yeah, dreams are a good way to give um, us in our limited time and space. But it suggests it is possible for us to live this way, and yeah. it should impact how we live. Yeah, absolutely. So today we're going to, and for anyone who wants a. Not only a refresher on it, but if we go through today's lesson and then you say, okay, now I get it. I want to go back and revisit the theological foundations. Again, last week's lesson, Eternity is Now, Part 1, you can get on the website. Advancing, no the, just advancingchurch.com and then go to the radio section. Go ahead. Thanks, Michael. So today we're going to contend with what it demands. What is required of us once we apprehend the true nature of eternity? As everybody knows, we're generally not responsible for what we do not know. But with knowledge comes duty. Once God reveals himself to us, we are without excuse. History has proven that if the church fulfills its duty to God, there will be a collateral benefit to all of society. But if the church neglects its duty to God, society will experience collateral damage. Or one could say that when the church abides, God provides, for both the church and for the people among whom God has placed it. We saw this play out in the abolition of the slave trade, the Christian resistance to communism in Poland, the 1986 Philippine Revolution led by the church, and in the American founding, to name just a few we've explored in this class. But when the church delays, society pays. We see evidence of this throughout Scripture. Whenever Israel disobeyed or even delayed in its obedience, God allowed suffering and defeat to remind them of their eternal king. And in our times, we've witnessed the consequences of the church's reluctance to stand against Nazi Germany— and we're experiencing daily the effects of the failure of the church to preserve knowledge of God in America. Now, once the church embraces eternity, opening its eyes to the reality that exists beyond time and space, what is it then that God requires? My objective here, as always, is to inspire a renewed moral courage in members of the body of Christ, the church, not to be zealots, but simply to uphold their sacred duty to check the power of the state, to warn those in government that there is a price we will not pay and there is a point beyond which they must not advance. Governments, by nature, are not eternal. They are temporary institutions willed by God for the present age. Our duty to the state, therefore, is also temporal in nature. For so long as the state remains within its temporal limits, we must willingly submit to it out of reverence for God, the giver of all authority. But when the state makes eternal claims, we must not yield. Time out. Mm -hmm. How many people today in the body of Christ treat temporal government like it's eternal and and eternal God and his ways, his truth, and his life as temporal, temporal, thus constantly morphing, constantly conforming to the patterns of this world so that we can be more likable, maybe be more appealing? I mean, we only get it completely wrong. Yeah, we get it absolutely upside down. Mm-hmm. You, you've covered it. I don't even need to add anything. You've covered it well. 
Well, so what do we mean, Michael, by the state making eternal claims? And, and how do we distinguish eternal rights from temporary privileges? A state makes eternal claims. That is, they make demands upon our eternal nature when the state infringes upon limits or otherwise seeks to condition our rights. And our rights, of course, come from God. And their chief characteristic is that rights no, impose no corresponding duty on another. These God-given rights include the, the right to life, liberty, property, speech, conscience, association. Um, and by the way, because no rights exist apart from God, it is perhaps, I think, redundant to refer to them as God-given because a right is God-given and not. So but I hear in the this music. day and age, I don't, I don't begrudge people doing that. <clears throat> sure. Uh, so I hear the music. We'll pick it up on the other side. And I, I want to add one other thing before we take the break. Mm-hmm. Uh, you brought up something very powerful and very profound. Uh, when you talked about we can only really be accountable for what we're, we we have knowledge of. Uh, there's something I learned very on, early on being discipled by Keith Green, and it was a very simple formula. He said knowledge equals responsibility equals accountability equals condemnability. And, and it so impacted me at 19 years old that I have never, ever taught a Bible study or discipled anyone the same again. When I meet somebody and we begin some type of a discipleship relationship, I always start with what they know. I always start with what they already believe. And I actually, with fear and trembling, and I'm not being dramatic, with fear and trembling, I'm very slow to move on to things they don't know. Now, we, by nature, all want to learn something. In fact, you would say, that wasn't a good sermon because I didn't learn anything. That wasn't a good Bible study or a Sunday school because I didn't learn anything. I knew that. And you know what I feel in my spirit, like I want to scream at all of you and everybody I come in contact with? Don't, in Jesus' name, don't learn anything new. You don't get it. Most of you are going to spend your whole life battling sins of commission, but you're going to be accountable for sins of omission. You don't want to know anything else. Don't learn another thing till you're living what you already know. You have no idea what you're doing to yourself. It's like praying the Lord's Prayer where you're verbally, and you're an attorney, so you'll love this, you're verbally making a contract with God and you're burying yourself. You're telling him to forgive you as you forgive others. Don't sign that contract. I know sinful human nature. Don't make that pact with God. Or be very forgiving if you do. So I always warn people, hey, let's start with what you do understand. Let's start with what you do believe. And let's make sure you're living that. Because I can throw a lot of other stuff at you, and all I'm heaping on you is accountability. Accountability that equals responsibility and condemnability. Don't go there. So careful what you learn. Kevin threw it out in one short sentence. I, I, I'm not saying I love you more than Kevin does. I want to love you enough to make very clear to you. This is a very dangerous game you play. Your human brain seems to only be emotionally moved when it learns something new. Your eternity is moved when you live something new. Chew on that and we'll be back. Tomas, skip that little fancy intro. Let's get right to it because I need every second we got in this segment. 1027 WTN University, the advancing church. Without it, there can be no political freedom. We're talking about eternity separate outside of time and space. Here's Kevin Cookage. Thanks, Michael. Our rights, as most of your listeners know, our rights come from God. In fact, when we say God-given rights, it is redundant 
um, but I'll say it nevertheless. And because our rights are eternal, this is what makes them unalienable. No man or temporal institution can either grant or deny them. And though they are exercised in time and space, they are rooted outside of time and space and must therefore be distinguished from temporary privileges conferred by men and governments. Such a cheesy pastor thing. Could you say that again? That's too important to say once. Yep. Because rights are eternal, this is what makes them unalienable. No man or temporal institution can either deny them or grant them. Though they are exercised in time and space, they are rooted outside of time and space. What does that mean to you? That last line. Even though they happen in time and space, they're rooted outside of time and space simultaneously. Yes. What does it mean to me more than I said? So I worked so hard on crafting a way no, to but I mean, simplify that, that and is, synthesize it. That is such a brilliant, powerful thought. It just can't – it has to just kind of be – that's – I never even viewed it that way. I mean I view what is – like in other words, the average person listening right now, they'll go, okay, I get authority. We're a constitutional republic. We're a government of laws based on a moral people and a moral way of life. And we said, these are your rights. They don't come from man. They don't come from government. They come from God. They're inalienable. And nobody can infringe upon them. Uh, we, we volitionally give them up sometimes right. without a fight. But I don't even think – I mean, so we get authority. Who has, They don't have – the state doesn't have that authority. Mm-hmm. Government doesn't have that authority. God does. But I never really thought about that simultaneously happening. So these eternal rights are happening right now on March 9th for me, potentially – but they're rooted in eternity. Yes. What a powerful army I got behind me that I don't see every day. Absolutely. Is where I'm going. This is why this is so important because it, as we will get into today, this is why you get to where if God before you, who can be against you? Absolutely. And it means something more than a banner in the back of a sanctuary. And it means something more than somebody just claiming these are our rights. These have eternal value. It should be noted, by the way, before we go to commercial here, that temporary does not mean simply abbreviated. When we say the state is temporary, it's not just abbreviated, although it is. And it's not just of limited duration. Eternity occupies a different place. Its limits are not measured by the area it – and and the state's limits, by the way, are not measured by the area it occupies on the timeline, but rather by the fact that it does not exist off the timeline. And we can get back to that. Do you think it makes a lot of other things make sense, like – Fix your eyes on the author. In other words, that place is more important. Or seek first the kingdom of God because that place is more important. I mean, a lot of this stuff really comes to life and you start seeing, you know what your republic needs? The eternal you in another place in time, not the temporary one, conforming to this upside down temporary state with no authority. I just pray, God, we're so far over uh, what is appropriate. I just pray in Jesus' name that he's lifting a veil and you're getting this, because when it does, you will never be the same. Because you know what? Since the cross, you never have been the same. It's about time you stop living the insanity uh, that does not exist. I I hope this is light bulbs are going off as much for you as they are uh, for all of us here in the studio. More of WTN University next following Ken Weaver in his temporary earthly state with the news. Why can't you be like Mr. Del Giorno? And for goodness sakes, sit like a lady! You're listening to WTN University on Super Talk 99.7 WTN. I gotta tell you, I felt like I sold you Xander Insurance during that commercial. You, you looked absolutely mesmerized. Not true. Go ahead and get a, get a quake today. 
dump whoever your friend is you've been it's overpaying It's probably for. because I've heard these ads so often. My kids know them. They sing them around the house. They talk them around the house. They could do your commercials. Is that a negative or a positive? No, that's a positive because it's so ingrained in them. <laughs> kind of like when you have your endless course. Uh, WTN Whoa. University. The we'll advan- end at the end of the spring semester. The, no, I'm kidding. The advancing chair. We haven't really done a semester yet. 24 weeks. What's an average semester class you taught? No, semester is 16 each. 32 in a year. So we did fall semester, now we're doing spring semester. Well, by time, but by classes, we're only on class 24. An average <laughs> ah, semester that's would right. be if more we're doing classes. three classes a week. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. See, stick with me. I'll bail us okay. out. All right. The Advancing Church, without there can be no political freedom, eternity, outside, time and space. Here's Kevin Cookagee. Thanks, Michael. Right before the break, and I, I, I want to get back into it because maybe I rushed it. When we talk about the state being temporary, it doesn't simply mean abbreviated. The state is not merely of limited duration. It occupies a different place. Its limits are not measured by the area it occupies on the timeline, but rather by the fact that it does not exist off the timeline. So for the church to be effective in preserving culture, we must be able to distinguish between eternity and time and space. We must be willing to make the argument that temporal authority is derivative of and completely dependent upon God's eternal authority. That what is on the timeline is only a shadow or suggestion of the reality that exists outside of the timeline. And because what is seen is only temporary, we must never yield to it our eternal loyalty. But a proper grasp of eternity is helpful beyond clarifying our temporal duties with regard to governments. It's essential in making the moral argument on virtually every other issue. The church's influence has diminished in our age largely because we have ceased to view anything with an eternal perspective. Whether we are talking about poverty, war, peace, persecution, or political activity, we are a church retreating under the assurances of this world rather than a church advancing on the eternal promises of God. We fail to impact civilization because civilization has become our object. Only when we fix our eyes on what is unseen can we bring eternal value to bear on time and space. Now, there's no more urgent need for this in response than in response to leftist political theory which dominates Hollywood and the Academy. Let me explain. One of the most overdone, bogus arguments peddled among the rising generation by their Marxist masters is that our traditions and the documents which articulate them are untrue because of their age. You've heard the meme, the Bible is old, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution are ancient documents that limit modern progress. Yet suggesting that something is untrue simply because of the date it was discovered, created, or when it appeared on the linear timeline is as silly as claiming that what is true today will not be true on Thursday. The absurdity can be illustrated by the laws of gravity. Does anyone believe that when Thomas Jefferson dropped his pen that the laws of gravity were suspended? Why then do we doubt the veracity of the truths of the document he composed with that pen? Say, if you will, that you do not believe the ideas to be true, or that you can demonstrate them to be untrue, but spare me the incredibly preposterous position that the age or the time in which the words were written have any bearing on their truth. Moreover, when one takes the position that the truth of an idea is related to its age, where is the magic line drawn? Is it true yesterday, but not last week? True last week, but not last month? True last month, but not last year? And once you've established your arbitrary dateline of truth, what about those who lived prior to that marker? Was their truth different than ours? Keep in mind that what was 100 years ago for us was only a day ago 
for, for them, someone living in that time. So the defects to this line of thinking can be easily exposed through an illustration. If we determine, for example, that October 10th, 1967, my birthday, was the dateline of truth, are those who were living on October 11th, 1967, bound to reject the ideas of the prior day for reasons of antiquity? All of this demonstrates the abject foolishness of rejecting ideas based on when or where they fall on the timeline. The only relevant question is, was, and ever will be, is it true? In fact, the age invalidates that argument as specious because it perpetually undermines itself. Under that theory, in a hundred years from now, what we hold to be true today will be invalidated not because of any intrinsic quality, but rather because of the age in which it was believed, despite the fact that in the present we hold to be true because of the age. We say things are true today just because of their age. Yet invalidating the past because of its age disqualifies the present under the same rationale because the present will be the past tomorrow. But I know you're too smart to not know how we got here. We have abandoned truth, the concept of truth, for moral relativism. That's right. You know, so they don't play by the same rules. Now, they pl- apply them. Uh, you know, nobody's jumping off buildings in their moral relativism, but you know, uh, that is clearly where we took a turn in the fork of the road, and we prioritized earth over heaven, we prioritized temporary over eternal, and we prioritize. And by the way, if you're going to get rid of truth, you got to get rid of the way, the truth, and the life. Yep. If you're going to be spiritualistic, pluralistic, and if you're going to be moral relativistic. You got to get rid of Christ, and you got to get rid of every Christian because they're the only ones that are going to stick around for. Well, you can have some Muslims in the way in the, too for a while, uh, but they're the only ones that aren't going to play your little game of moral relativism. But that's how we got here. Yes, and it's interesting you bring up the example of jumping out of a building. <clears throat> people people won't jump out of a building, and that's my next example. The only way we contend with these false philosophies is to meet them with a conviction about the true nature of eternity and its distinction from time and space. So let me give another example. Um, sort of ponging off of your example of jumping out of a building. The collapse of the social civil order today can be attributed almost exclusively to a refusal to accept that the effects of rejecting moral laws of nature are as immediate and consequential as ignoring the physical laws of nature. And our inability to see the consequences of our choices deceives us into the false belief that consequences delayed are consequences avoided. We would not, for example, jump out of an airplane without a parachute because the failure to obey the physical laws of nature are immediate and obvious. But we break moral laws of nature with regularity, assuming that if the consequences are not visible, they must not exist. We, but, do, we do it, by the way, with the nation's debt, as if it's not real, right. and it's going to exist. <clears throat> but in eternity, that is the reality that exists outside the limits of time and space, there's no distinction between the effects of ignoring the laws of physical nature and the consequences of ignoring the laws of moral nature. Both are immediate and simultaneous. In time and space, however, while the effects of one attempts to defy the laws of physical nature, such as jumping out of an aircraft without a parachute, are immediate, providing a strong deterrent against disobedience. The penalties attendant to moral failures, on the other hand, generally manifest themselves in the future, further down the linear timeline, tempting us to dismiss the nexus between the decision and the consequence. How many people think that they're in debt when their credit card's at $4,600? Versus they're at the limit 6000 and they're cut off. Now, you were $4,500 in debt when you still had 1500 left. You were still in a bad way. You should have stopped spending and made sure that was paid down to zero before you bought another thing. But it's not. So I got another 1500 of credit. It's really not a crisis. 
until every card is maxed right. out and I can't even afford the minimum payment. That's right, because those decisions, whether it's credit, whether it's stealing, lying, they're all done with a calculation that the present benefit outweighs the risk of future discovery. What was the line you had? Because I, my thought was everybody should write that down and put it on their mirror when they're brushing their teeth in the morning. The the, the notion that the the... the Long-term eternal consequences are trumped by the immediate. The the, the great line. Well, of, one is our our inability to see the consequences of our choices deceives us into the false belief that consequences delayed. Consequences delayed. Consequences avoided. avoided. That should be on everybody's mirror because if, if we lived that, we'd have a different life. Right. So, <clears throat> the in eternity, where everything is simultaneous, there's no separation between decision and consequence. The failure to obey the physical laws of nature and ducking the moral laws of nature are indistinct as to the immediacy of their consequences. So while a thief may or may not be caught, and while a liar may or may not be exposed at some point down the timeline, the eternal outcome of these decisions is not avoided. All of this, Michael, sheds new light on the phrase, decisions have eternal consequences. It does not mean that down the road in time and space, your decisions will bring about a certain result although it eventually will become plain. Rather, it affirms that all decisions and their con- consequences are immediate and simultaneous outside of time and space, even if we cannot see them here and now. I always say uh, ignorance is bliss till consequence arrives. That, that's really what this is, this is talking about. There's going to come a day, and it's going to come, I think, far sooner than I ever dreamt possible, where our republic will be officially gone. And let's say it's June 2nd, 2022. That may be when history records our republic died. But the decisions we were making all the way back in 88 or 2002 is really when it died. I hope you're getting this outside of time and space concept because it should change the way you live. It should collectively change the way we live in a living republic. More of WTN University in a moment on WTN. 1055 WT at university. That's because when I think of overtime, I don't think of hockey. I think of football. Ooh. Sorry. With his Smith and Wesson guns or I, or I think, bulging out of his Adidas fit shirt. Or I think of baseball and extra innings. I think of uh, hockey. Uh, you and I were having a conversation off the air. I know we're going to go back into the professor's office at 1105, and you're going to make two final points. And then uh, I do want to talk a little bit about what's shaping up in the presidential mm-hmm. race. Um, but, you know... I love the whole concept of eternity being separate and outside of time and space. And and you need to understand that so that you can deal with your God. I mean, how many times people think, how could a God of love allow this to happen? Because he's outside of time and space, and he knows just what great things he's doing. You just don't see it yet. But you will. Every testimony ends up with him getting the glory. But it's amazing. You know, we battle with this stuff as believers every day. I mean, how many times have you been in the fight of your life with with Satan? Like, And he's winning at times. When he's already lost, right? You know, it would it, it should impact every perspective of every circumstance of your life. It really makes despair impossible. Now, anybody that's listened to the show for nine years, know I go in and out of 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 pendulums of despair, and those are moments where I'm focused too much on this temporal earth, or I'm making the game here when it's there. Yeah, because temporal and limiting temp- it to now when it's forever. Right, because the Bible's clear. We know that the temporal has been, for this time, uh, even if that sounds redundant, been given under the control of Satan. But the Bible is very clear that not only is Satan's reign over, 
but the temporal will also be renewed and transformed, and now, there will be a new heavens and a way, new earth. By the way, find a scripture that talks. I mean, it says our fight is not against flesh and blood, right. but against spirits and principalities. But, you know, the simple way to handle biblically the enemy, rebuke him, resist him, he flees. You're not even supposed to be fighting him. He's already lost. You just resist him. And, but you got to recognize him and know when it's him and not you. And mock him. We must never be afraid because that's the, the, the greatest scriptural, whether it's Calvin, whether it's Luther, they've always said, look, Satan hates to be mocked, so you can also mock him. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We've lost our reverence to God. We've abandoned a bad, absolute truth that is so important to the eternal rights that are found in our republic. Uh, two final points that will really tie this in. What does this have to do? And You can see what it has to do with eternal mindedness and eternal citizenship. What does it have to do with... United States citizenship. We'll wrap it up in the professor's office next on WTN. 11.07 in the morning, seven minutes after 11 o'clock. Information-fueled, opinion-driven, that's Super Talk. I'm your Super Talker, Michael Del Giorno, on this Wednesday, March the 9th. SEC tournament gets underway at the Bridgestone Arena. It'll be Auburn, Tennessee, 13 versus 12, and then full action tomorrow. Lions' Calvin Johnson calls it quits after nine seasons. And the Preds, 4-2 to at Winnipeg last night. Tonight, they're in Calgary against the Flames. Hottest team in hockey. That'll be my pick to click on television on Fox South TN. Wrapping up with uh, our WTN University class today, uh, the Advancing Church. Without it, there can be no political freedom, and we've been talking about eternity. It's a place separate and outside of time and space. We sometimes confuse temporary and eternal, now and forever, and it certainly impacts a living republic. Kevin Cookage to wrap things up. Thank you, Michael. Having established the premise last hour that all decisions and their consequences are immediate, they're simultaneous, what it proves is that the decision we make on any matter is most important. In fact, it's the only thing that matters. As T.S. Eliot said, for us, there's only the trying. The rest is not our business. This should actually inspire moral courage against the winds of political chicanery. Who is T.S. Eliot, by the way? Great poet. Great poet? Yeah. Because I always say... That we are in the obedience business, God is in the results business. I'm almost as smart as him, but probably far poorer. But go ahead. <laughs> and you are far further down the linear timeline after him. That's true. About 100 years ago. Oh, see? Well, that's <clears throat> why. Excuse me. I didn't mean to interrupt with that. It should inspire moral courage, for example, against the political chicanery that goes on when the whole world is advancing a narrative that one vote against a popular measure is a meaningless, wasted vote. And it should stand as a warning against those who justify cowardly decisions under theories of, quote, getting something done, end quote. We have a duty to repudiate clever political schemes. The ends never justify the means. In fact, only slaves to time and space would think that way. If the ends and the means, that is, the consequence and the decision, are simultaneous, there's no point in acting badly to bring about a so-called better end. In fact, it is in eternity, outside of time, where the true character of the action and the consequence crystallize. Manifold acts of injustice are weighed against an elusive end that never materializes. Being a slave to time and space, living, in other words, in the temporal only, blinds and deceives the fool into the belief that delayed consequences are permitted, or that consequences delayed are consequences avoided, or that you can amend your ways between the bad decision and the resulting consequences. But consequences do not follow ideas and decisions. They define them. The consequences of a good decision give life to that decision, confirming it as the truth, 
whereas the consequences of bad decisions kill and destroy the very ideas and beliefs which gave birth to the decision, along with producing, by the way, significant collateral damage. And our failure of refusal to see these things in time and space will only make our eternal apprehension of them more devastating. Now, <clears throat> some may ask, well... I was going to say, you need a Harry Carey. Yeah, yeah I know. There you go. <laughs> there. <laughs> some may ask, well, if God is good and if he genuinely wished to deter us from disobeying moral laws, why would he not make the temporal consequences of moral failure as immediate as the temporal effects of disregarding the physical laws of nature? Wouldn't it be easier, for example, to be obedient if the consequences for lying were as instantly life-threatening as jumping out of an airplane without a parachute? Well, of course. But perhaps the delay in time and space that tempts us to ignore these consequences is intended to animate our free will? Maybe it's calculated... Maybe it's the ultimate act of mercy and grace. Exactly. <laughs> or, or it's calculated to, to increase our faith? Certainly our being trapped in time and space is a consequence of the fall. After all, we know that the world is under the control of Satan for now. It would be wholly consistent for him to hide or delay the consequences of our disbelief in order to deceive us into believing that consequences delayed are consequences avoided. And one final note. I hope this lesson gives the church a better understanding of prophecy. Prophecy, you see, does not require an ability to see into the future. As it's one, already there. As one whose perspective is restricted to time and space might describe it. Rather, when one's view is fixed outside of time and space in eternity, where all acts and consequences are simultaneous, it demands only that we tell the truth. Prophecy, then, is not about seeing into the future. It is simply reviewing matters from an eternal perspective. That is so powerful. You know, out of all the takeaways today, and this may be insulting because <laughs> there were so many, Consequences delayed are consequences avoided. I think that's what we're guilty of. Most. Are not consequences avoided. Are not not consequences avoided. But I mean that concept is, I think, what we're most guilty of. You know, we lay twenty trillions of dollars of debt as if it doesn't have consequence because it's delayed. It's avoided. We make hundreds of trillions of dollars of commitments to our citizens that we know we can't keep, and we get away with it because they're delayed and that's viewed as avoided when they're not. Uh, we're doing it every day in Iraq. We're doing it every day in Syria, every day in Afghanistan, every day in Iran, every day with North Korea, every day with the former Soviet Union acting more like the Soviet Union. These are all consequences delayed, but they are not consequences avoided. I think it's probably one of the most actionable, powerful takeaways uh, from this class, in in addition to the conclusion. I mean, this notion that a prophet isn't seeing into the future, he's being eternal in the moment, and therefore he is past, present, and future, and he sees things outside of time and space, which is, I think, where God wants us living, and I think all of us fall tragically short. Yeah, and, and again— And our republic suffers for it. <clears throat> yes, because it comes down to—we touched on it in the middle of the lesson— it comes down to simply telling the truth. When you tell the truth, you are, in, a fact, in fact, being a prophet, and that's the true definition of a prophet. No, they're great. Well, I often get, you know, I, I wrote a book, uh, Standing Up for What's Right, and everything that I warned would happen in Oklahoma happened. I wasn't seeing the future. I was speaking the truth in the moment. It, it's a great example, and I've, I've been accused of being, oh, there he goes again. You said it. You called mm-hmm. it. No, I was just the one that, I guess, had a little more sense than other people and the courage to say it. Uh, For those of you listening to WTN University online at advancingchurch.com, thanks for class. We'll see you next week.